Welcome to another edition of What Barry's Talking About from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, weather turning, ski season getting closer. We get details of this weekend's ski and snowboard show and swap in Mississauga. Also hear from a local Olympian who can't stand the cold, but doesn't miss an opportunity to hit the slopes. You like to camp, but have trouble booking a site? Queens Park is changing things up, shortening the length of time campers can stay on a campsite. Halloween around the corner, we chat with actress Jen. Shaw about her film Savannah Haunting and what it's like filming in an actual haunted house. But first, after 12 years with Jeff Lehman at the helm, Barry is getting a new mayor. Alex Nuttall getting the nod in the recent municipal election. Barry 360's Will Conkin had a sit-down with the mayor-elect to get a handle on how he hopes things will play out over the next four years. Has it sunken in yet that you're mayor? <laughs> you know, it, uh, it hasn't, but... Uh... Uh, I, I woke up this morning very, very, very thankful to so many people who uh, worked so very hard to uh, to win the election and uh, very thankful to the people of Barrie for giving me the opportunity to uh, work hard for the city of Barrie and, and help progress it forward. What will the first 100 days look like? What's first on the agenda? I think the first thing we need to do is make sure that we have a council that's working together, that folks uh, uh, feel included, part of the team, uh, and that the diverse you know experiences and um, knowledge and and, and uh, backgrounds are able to be brought to the table so that we can have uh, you know a cohesive team that fully represents the entire city and uh, I think that's uh, the most important thing for the next 100 days uh, you know you don't uh, you don't accomplish everything obviously in the first hundred days I think this is a a, a long-term uh, venture that uh, that we as as council uh, are on and I think that uh, we're trying to steer the city towards um, you know, being uh, in in a, in a better position over the next eight to ten years, and so uh, you know, I don't think it's uh, jumping uh, too far too quickly. I think it's actually more about ensuring that we have the right um, uh, goals, the right vision for the city of Barrie, uh, and then everybody is uh, is buying in and rowing in the same direction. How do you create cohesiveness amongst the council members to uh, like implement those plans? Yeah, I think a lot of it's relationship building uh, amongst the council. I think that. Uh, there's lots of folks around the table that know each other already, which is which is great. I've worked with most of council uh, in the past uh, in in various ways, either through being a member of city council or or a member of parliament, or uh, even in volunteer items in the in the community. So uh, for me, it's uh, I think it'll be uh, an easy hit 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 right you know running. Um, but I think there's a lot of new faces as well, and uh, so. I know we'll all be there for each other and, and help everyone move forward. You've had a hold the line on taxes stance. How do you uh, do that with the economy right now, high inflation? Will there need to be cuts on the books at all to some services? Well, I think there's a couple things uh, in that. Number one, uh, you know, you have to remember the cities I should be running at a, at a surplus over the last year, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of four to five million, if I'm going on record, going on memory here. Secondly, I think that uh, it's ensuring that when we're Looking at spending, that uh, uh, it is uh, what is necessary, uh, not what uh, is just wanted. Um, and I think that we need to make sure that uh, every decision we're making, um, that we're putting the, the taxpayers and citizens of Barry at the forefront of it. You know, increasing taxes increases rents, right? Increasing taxes increasing the cost of home ownership in the city of Barry. And uh, when you have high inflation, high interest rates, you have to work uh, like anything to make sure that we're. Uh, ensuring that the, 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 the city of Barrie is an affordable place for people to call home. You know, I, I believe that people move to Barrie, uh, they get drawn in by the water and, and the hills around it, but they move here because it's affordable, safe, and clean. 
And, uh, you know, those are the items I think that we need to continue to focus on. Another issue that people, past mayors, have had to deal with is uh, the people from Penetang coming down and getting into Barrie. How do you how do you plan to tackle it and make sure that those people get back on their feet and get set up for success? I said this at a lot of doors around the city during the election. Um, can you imagine that there was a place where people got institutionalized and then once they were you know, being released, they were dropped on the side of the road in a city they don't know. Does that sound like Canada to you? Like, it doesn't sound like Canada, let alone Barry to me, you know? And so I think that we need to look at that and say, okay, this isn't good enough, right? Provincial government, penitentiary, this is just not good enough. Uh, we have the opportunity to both help the city of Barry and help those individuals, you know, help them get back to the place that they call home, but also help them get right into transitional services. Uh, and that, in turn, will also help the city of Barrie. And, and even more than that, it will also help those individuals who are actually from Simcoe County or from the city of Barrie who are, uh, you know, calling Barrie home before that, have the capacity. We'll have more capacity in our social services to help those individuals as they transition out of institutionalization back into society and hopefully choosing a, a better path forward. For those people who maybe live outside of Simcoe prior, how do you plan to help them? Well, I think that the... You know, that's where I think that the, the provincial government and the penitentiary need to be at the table, right? Uh, the reality is that, um, that we in the city of Barrie can't do everything for everyone. We can't take on the provinces or a quarter of the provinces uh, load. We need to make sure that we're focusing on uh, those folks who are, who are from our region and then help the province, uh, you know, get those people into transitional services uh, and moving ahead with their lives uh, back where, where they came from. Do you think that if you not fully complete this issue or like tackle that issue? Do you think that will change a lot of what is going on in the downtown? I think it's one of the issues we need to tackle. You know, we have a beautiful downtown, right? And we have a gorgeous waterfront. Uh, the problem right now is we don't have the atmosphere that matches it. And there's a perception out there. Uh, I can tell you I went door to door around the city uh, that we have a downtown that doesn't feel comfortable and it doesn't feel entirely safe for some folks. And, you know, we have incredible businesses down there, uh, you know, working every single day and we need to change that perception, but we're not going to change our perception if we don't change the atmosphere downtown. This is one of the issues I think that will go a long way, but getting a grocery store downtown will help, right? You know, you have an entire downtown without a grocery store. It makes no sense. Uh, you know, ensuring that, that, that we have proper programming at, uh, Meridian Place and throughout the downtown, you know, the open air Dunlop, uh, there's some just some great things happening. There's some expansion we need to do on that. That will help. Uh, but certainly uh, the drop off from Penetang, I think, will be one of the marquee items to focus on. Going back to the election last night, voter turnout was around 30 percent. Were you surprised that it was around that number? That's a great question. You know, I, I don't know anymore. We've seen a, a reduction in voter turnout in uh, the provincial election uh, that just passed. Uh, I think we've got to look at the system that we're using and determine whether it was uh, uh, something that helped or hindered. Uh, is there small changes or big changes that need to happen? And, you know, council and staff will figure that out. And we have experts that will go through that. Uh, I know there was a few folks that were uh, finding it difficult to vote and um, and certainly of a, of a specific demographic. Uh, but at the same time, I think that it did provide some opportunity to some some other younger folks as well. So, uh, you know, I think that the idea of democracy is we get as many people voting as possible. And uh, over the next four years, you know, we need to sit down and figure out uh, what it is we can do to improve uh, voter turnout in the next election. Because at the end of the day, when more people vote, everyone wins. 
Jeff Lehman, he was in the mayor's seat for a while. Is there anything that you're going to continue on that he implemented or are there some things that you're going to change? You know, I think Jeff did uh, an incredible job, uh, four years as a city councillor, 12 years as the mayor of the city of Barrie. And, um, I have nothing but, uh, but praise for Jeff. Um, I think that, uh, that, that there was some, some challenges over the last term. I mean, the pandemic, right? Uh, so, you know, that interferes with the, with the day-to-day governance, right? And so I think going forward for me, uh, uh, I'll actually rely on, uh, on asking Jeff and, and Doug Downey and, and, and our provincial and federal counterparts uh, for advice as well as uh, our entire council that's going to work together. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm very happy to be able to, to fill the role that Jeff has, uh, has moved on from and uh, very thankful for his service to the city of Barrie. Our Will Conkin in conversation with Barry Mayor-elect Alex Nuttall. The new council begins its term in mid-November. We've had a hint of snow in the Barrie area, more than a hint in parts of Muskoka. Ski resorts getting ready for the coming season, and you can too. This weekend at the Ski and Snowboard Show and Swap in Mississauga. What's new for the slopes, what you need if you're just getting started, and you can chat with local skier and Olympian Aaron Milchinski, our MJ Bradford did. People are already thinking about um, ski and snowboarding season, and um, there's the show that's going to be coming up in Toronto very soon. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I think as the snow starts to fly, people either get really excited or nervous, but I think the best way to kind of kick off winter is to surround yourself with people that love winter or want to look into more snow sports. And so the Toronto Ski and Snowboard Show is a three-day show from October 28th until 30th at the International Centre in Mississauga. And it's kind of the place snow sports. You can go to the vendors and figure out the latest technology and you can go to the little places for the ski hills and the ski areas and see what they have to offer and maybe plan your future trip. And they also have the largest ski swap and snowboard swap in all of Canada. So over 2,000 new, um, used, previously loved items that you can go and sift through, which is amazing because anything pre-loved is good for the environment. It's a bit cheaper and it's always fun to look into those ski swaps. You're obviously not new to this game. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about um, um, your journey when it comes uh, to skiing and your Olympic journey as well. Yeah, I started skiing before I was two and started racing before I was six. So it was kind of born into me, I think. Um, my whole family, they raced, um, but just at the ski club. And I'm from Georgia Peak Ski Club, so pretty close to, to Barrie. And um, I don't know, my goal was just to always go to the Olympics. And I, I love to ski. It was a huge passion of mine. I had every day on the slopes and everyone would have to pull me off the slopes. And so my first Olympics was Vancouver in 2010. And then I followed it up with three more Olympics. So I'm a four-time Olympian. Um, and then recently off of the 2022 Olympics in Beijing. How did you like Beijing? How was that? I know it must've been obviously very different than what you were used to previous years, but um, how, how did all that go for you? Every Olympics is so unique. And this Olympics was, was no different with, um, all the testing and restrictions and things. But once we got there, everything felt very, very normal. And it's so nice to be around the other athletes and, you know, even the food court, you can try all the different foods and things like that. And so it was really nice to be surrounded by all the athletes again. And so many people that love winter. I mean, it was a winter Olympics. And so I'm kind of looking forward to the um, Toronto ski and snowboard show to feel that feeling again, you know, be surrounded by people who 
love the outdoors, love the industry, and then share my passion. I just, I love to ski, to be honest. I still love to ski after 14 years on the national team. And so I'm so excited to share that love with people and um, just be around people that are excited to try snow sports. I mean, 97% of people want to stay in snow sports. And so I'm excited to share that love, be with them October 28th to 30th. And uh, that's kind of how the Olympics feels too, just around like-minded people. We have a, a decent amount of hills out here. I know like I'm from out West and people are like, how can you possibly ski when you live close to Toronto? But I mean, <laughs> it's a misconception. We do have some pretty decent hills uh, around this area. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's amazing. I mean, we don't have the mountains and we don't have maybe the length of the run um, and some of the backcountry features that out West does. But I think we have this hugely strong ski community, and it's something that you see. I mean, there's so many Ontario athletes that go to the Olympics, which really shows our culture and how competitive we are and how great the industry is. And, I mean, if you go to the Apre here, it's, it's so much fun, and there's so many places to go. And I think that that's what's really cool. You can, you can talk to resorts at the Toronto Ski and Snowboard Show, and um, you can see the hills and what they all have to offer, but from coast to coast. So maybe you can decide that you don't actually have to go to that sea destination out west and you can find, you know, a little place to go in Trombois or or here at Blue Mountain and you can get those cheaper getaways by just driving there instead of flying. And so I'm always shocked by how amazing it is. And even the views when you're standing at the top of the escarpment and you see all of Georgian Bay and, I don't know, you look out and every day is a different day, whether it's sunny or cloudy. I think that what we have is pretty spectacular. Of course, we don't have the mountains, we have the hills, but I think that's what's really cool. You can kind of see what everyone has to offer and then plan your future trip. A lot of people, maybe their aversion to skiing or whatever might be like, oh, it's cold. But yeah. I mean, but there's a difference. I mean, you're so highly padded and there's so much technology out there to make it as comfortable as possible. Yeah, exactly. And I always say there's no such thing as bad weather or cold weather, just bad planning. <laughs> so I always kind of have a backpack and plan ahead with what I'm going to wear. And I mean, I wear a lot of layers to keep the moisture away from my body, or you can remove a layer or put on a layer, leaf fall off layers or, or Merino are always amazing. And then I actually put hot tea or lemon water in my water bottle instead of just water, because I never drink water if it's just cold water in my water bottle. And so that makes me drink, keeps my core warmer. And I actually have a pair of heated socks um, because our feet are so cold in those tight ski boots that heated socks, socks are amazing. But also, sometimes I just change my socks. If I go in for a coffee break or a hot chocolate or something, I just have my little socks rolled in my pocket and I just change my socks. And then I can stay a little bit warmer. And I think that that's what's cool. You can go to the ski show and you can look at all of these technologies. You can look at how to make it your warmest winter yet. And you can get these tips from all those pros and vendors out there. If you're like very much your one-stop shop to ask all your questions and get suited up for the year. Okay. So I got into like a couple of um, um, different questions here for you. Now, me and my boss were actually talking about this earlier. Um, he heard a rumor and we don't know if it's true. So that's where you come in. Um, when you're skiing, um, if you feel yourself that you're going to be, you know, about to fall, um, we've heard that it's best not to tense up to sort of go loosey goosey. Is that, true to prevent injury, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the best way is to, to kind of let yourself fall, but there are better ways to fall as well. Like if you know you're going to 
fall on your hip. Sometimes better just to fall on your hip than to put your arm out because you might hurt your arm or something like that. Um, it's always worse when you tense up. With that said, I don't know if it's possible not to tense up. Like usually, you know you're going to fall before it happens. Um, so I think it's better not to. And I think that that's where you know it's really important to have that equipment you trust and. You know, those those skis that you know are going to come off your feet if they're supposed to or stay on if they're supposed to. And I think that, I don't know, when you're falling, sometimes it's so fast that it just happens. Um, but, I mean, if you can fall a better way or if you can stay relaxed, that's great as well. This weekend show is at the International Center on Airport Road in Mississauga. It starts Friday, runs through Sunday. More info at torontoskishow.ca. What Barry's Talking About is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry has to offer and more. You can make it easy to connect by subscribing to What Barry's Talking About through most podcast distributors. Still to come on What Barry's Talking About, Queen's Park changing the rules for booking a campsite at provincial parks and behind the scenes at the filming of a horror film in an actual haunted house. Now this. This is your Cool Concert Listing. Hey there, this is Amy with this week's Cool Concert Listings. Monoskin arrives to history in Toronto November 21st and the 22nd. Bare Naked Ladies will be at Casino-Rama November 25th, as well as Sarah McLaughlin on November 26th. Three Days Grace will be at the Sadlin Arena November 26th. They will also be at History in Toronto November 27th. Arcade Fire and the We Tour with special guest Beck comes to the Scotiabank Arena December 1st. This has been this week's Cool Concert Listings. For more ticket information and for details, head on over to 1075coolfm.com. Barry's Best Mix, 1075 Cool FM. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry360. I'm Dan Blakely. If you've been disappointed trying to book a campsite at a provincial park, 2023 may be the year you finally get to pitch your tent and cook your s'mores over the fire. Barry 360's Ian McLennan gets the new rules for booking from Megan Burrell, an assistant program coordinator with Ontario Parks Marketing. Okay, Megan, we are running and uh, we're looking forward or looking ahead to winter anyway, but uh, let's look ahead to next summer. Some changes are coming to a, a lot of Ontario provincial parks. I'm wondering if you could squeeze it down a bit for us and explain what those changes are. Yeah, definitely. So this year, reservations at Ontario Provincial Parks have increased significantly, and many of our busier parks are now seeing very few vacancies throughout July and August. And we know that experiences at parks are priceless. So we want to make sure that we're providing more people with the opportunity to enjoy campground camping at some of those busier parks. That's why Ontario Parks is making changes to the maximum length of stays for campground campsite stays. So starting in 2023, for the peak summer operating season, the maximum length of stay will be reduced from 23 nights to 7 or 14 nights at select parks. And these changes to the campground camping maximum length of stay will apply to all stays between July 1st and the Saturday of the Labor Day long weekend. Some people may feel they're losing out, but I guess there are many more who feel they're losing out because they were unable to book a site? Definitely. We've heard from countless visitors about how frustrating it can be to miss out on a summer camping reservation. With reservations being so competitive due to high demand, it can be difficult to get a campsite at some of our busier parks. So ideally with this change, we're trying to give more people the opportunity to go camping. And 
After announcing this change, we've received plenty of positive responses from campers who are excited for more opportunities to camp at our parks. Now, over the last two years, demand for campsites in the province has increased dramatically. Has Ontario Parks taken a look at that and said, you know, kind of try to figure out why the, um, you know, why the, why the spurt, why the growth? We've really been seeing a spike in our bookings over the last eight years and definitely um, over the last two years as well. So um, in over the last eight years, we started off with 4.3 million camper nights in 2014. And then um, last year in 2021, we actually had over 6.6 million camper nights. And, you know, we've seen just a general resurgence in the interest in camping and the outdoors as a trend over the past eight years, seeing people want to reconnect with nature but a lot of the increase in visitation was amplified by the pandemic as Ontario Parks became a preferred choice for local travel opportunities. Now, also, too, um, um, told about some of the changes that's being made because some campers started to mass book sites and only to cancel or reschedule them at a later date. And some uh, residents were noting that some of these permits there were being resold on the Internet, like uh, Kijiji and other sources. Yeah, and I think that's really what this change is getting at. We're just really trying to provide an opportunity for more campers to be able to enjoy camping. And this was one of the best options to make sure that people were able to get into those busier parks by cutting down on how long people are able to stay. More camper nights are available for everyone to camp. Not every park that is impacted by this, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. So it's a select list. So um, those parks cut down to seven-day limits. There's actually only five, and they are our top five busiest. And then there's a larger list that are going down to 14 days. But um, some of our parks are still at 23 days. So I definitely recommend uh, people checking out our website. Under our rules and regulations page, we have a full list of how long the length of stays are for all of our parks across the province. And if somebody's sitting now in uh, October, November, what have you, in the fall thinking, I'd like to try camping, can they book at any time and, you know, looking ahead to next summer? Our reservations open up five months in advance. So those looking to the summer will probably want to start planning um, in the new year, January, February. Um, But those looking for spring camping can start looking to book now. Um, And we also do have some fall camping availability. There's places all across the province with the amazing weather we've been having. It's still an amazing time to camp. Thanks, Megan. Thanks so much. Always nice to get back to the land. Good to hear more people will get the opportunity. new horror film being released in some markets this weekend, Savannah Haunting, filmed in an actual haunted house, which made for some interesting times for the cast. Barry 360's MJ gets the ghoulish details from one of them, Jenna Shaw. Tell me about Savannah Haunting. I, I, I've watched the trailer, super creepy, um, which is a compliment. <laughs> it's, thank uh, you, thank you. <laughs> for sure. Is it true that it was filmed in like an actual haunted house, or what's the story with this? So, uh, Savannah Haunting was filmed in the house that all the events actually took place in. It was a family home that all these things happened, and our writer-director decided to write a film based on his experiences growing up in that house. So shooting in the actual haunted house was a trick. I bet. Did you guys experience any and anything weird, or was it more just like the, the fact that all these things did happen here? A bunch of us experienced some random weirdness while we were shooting we were there for 25 days so there was plenty of time to experience things and i definitely had a few experiences i know a bunch of other cast and crew did too and we just kind of 
pushed it away and said, you know, like, we have to just shoot this movie, stop doing stuff to us. But it was, it, yeah, it was scary. <laughs> Can you give any examples of maybe like the, the, the thing that stuck with you the most? Yeah, there was this one um, room that all the actors kind of gravitated towards. We had areas that we could sit in, but there was this one closet. And yes, it was a closet <laughs> that was very long and narrow, and it was in the most haunted room in the house. But this particular closet, we all gravitated towards. We would sit in there. Our wardrobe was kept in there. And they were shooting downstairs. We had wrapped shooting upstairs. And I was sitting in the closet by myself with my back against the door. And there were two steps going down into this closet and the door. I'm sitting with my back against the door. And I just hear, dun, 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 like three heavy knocks on the door. And I feel the door hit me three times in the back. So I jump up and I go, oh, wait, I'm I'm in here. Hold on, hold on. And I open the door. Nobody's there. Creepy. Something hit that door three times. I I wear my life on it. So I go downstairs and I say, hey, did anyone come upstairs? And they're like, hey, we're shooting. Like, no, just don't walk around upstairs because of sound. And I said, no one was upstairs. And they said, no, no one's been upstairs. So, I think a ghost was trying to get into the room. <laughs> That's crazy. So, you said that your director or your, or your writer has spent some time there when he was a child? Uh, the director, yeah, William Mark McCullough, he grew up there. It was his father's home, and he and his uh, siblings would spend a lot of time there growing up. And they all experienced things while they were growing up, but they never talked about it until he wrote the film and then told them, hey, I wrote a film that's based on things I experienced in the house. Did you guys ever experience anything? And it was 30 years later that they said, yes. So then they started sharing their stories about what they experienced. And I guess in some rewrites, he infused some of their experiences too. So so many things that happen in the script happen to the kids when they were growing up. That's so in a way, we were kind of reenacting what they experienced. That's wild. How did he feel about yeah. going back into that house after that? Or was, was he nervous or just kind of more like nostalgic? No, he still lives there. It's a family home. They still own the home. Oh. The family still has it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you don't give up something like that. <laughs> no, they... They said it's still our home and we're going to keep it in the family, which I admire. But at the same time, if I were in there, I would not do that. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Sorry, and it's funny that you say that because you're you're not new to the horror movie genre, right? Like you've you've done things like this in the past. Yeah. Okay. And I love horror movies. Yeah. What, what's the, what's the difference between like being in like making a horror movie as opposed to as opposed to another, a different kind of movie? What I love about horror is you can just play around in the unknown. It's all supernatural. There aren't any, the rules are different in a horror film than they are in your regular old movie. I mean, yeah, you have like anything that genre, you just have room to play. I love the gore factor. I love blood and guts. Spoiler alert, I did not get any guts ripped out of me in this movie, but boy, did I want to, but maybe next time. I just... I love how colorful a lot of horror movies are because of all the blood and guts. They can take place anywhere. You can get scared anywhere. I I just love the genre because it's 
it's just fun. You can be terrified. You could do a horror campy comedy. You could do a monster thing. There's just so many different areas that you can explore within the one genre. There's subgenres. And I just, I love that aspect of it. Our MJ in conversation with Jenna Shaw, who can be seen in Savannah Haunting, being released this weekend. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to MJ, Ian, and Will for their input and to Matt Ladder for his technical expertise. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to what Barry's talking about, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with what Barry's talking about on Facebook and Twitter at Barry360 and on our website, Barry360.com. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.